All right, good evening, everybody. All right, we're going to continue in the book of Exodus. We are up to chapter 34. We've seen um, Moses ascend to the mountain. We've seen the children of Israel go into idolatry. Uh, Moses break the tablets. God said, I'm not going with you. They're upset. Uh, They want God to go with them. God summons Moses back up to the mountain. Moses asked God, can I see your glory? I want to see your glory. God said to Moses, what you're asking is not possible. There's no way you can see my glory. But I'll tell you what I'll do, Moses. Come up to the mountain. I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to let my goodness, my goodness, he doesn't say glory, my goodness pass before you. And then I will lift my hand and you will see my backward parts. That's where we left off in chapter 33. Now in 34, we'll see that Moses now ascends back up the mountain. Uh, I would ask that you would stand with me. We would pray and we would uh, read the first verse, first nine verses of Exodus chapter 34. Father, we thank you that we have every blessing in Christ Jesus. Every blessing in Christ Jesus. As the song said, that you have promised us your riches untold. We have the riches of God in Christ Jesus. And we thank you, Lord God, that you are a glorious God. That you are a good God. And we ask, Lord God, that as we look again tonight at the God of covenant, the God who reveals himself to his people, that we would be encouraged, Lord, we really would be strengthened And we would be encouraged and we would know all the more how great our God is, how awesome He is, how compassionate and kind and loving He is to His people. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is what God says to us tonight, Exodus 34, 1-9. Then the Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablet the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the mountain, come up, to the mor- come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you, and let it be, and let it, no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite the mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshiped, and and he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance." It's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As we go through the book of uh, of Revelation, holy mackerel, of Exodus. Well, this is a revelation of God right here. Of Exodus, here's here's how uh, I've broken up 
chapter 34, we see in verses 1 to 9 a revealing, verses uh, 10 to 28 a renewing, and 29 to 35 there is a reflecting. So that's how we're going to break it up. So tonight we'll be looking at the revealing, the revealing. But before there is a revealing, there has to be a providing. God said, listen to what it says, verse 1, The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words which are on the first tablet which you broke. If you remember, God told Moses when he was up there the first time, Get down there. The people have broken loose. The people are committing idolatry. Moses goes down and he, he hears the sound of reveille, uh, 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 as it says, and the people got up to play. The people got up to play. They were, you know, we have a picture and an image of them dancing around a golden calf and fire and all kinds of whacked out stuff going on. And Moses takes the, the covenant of God and he smashes it on the ground. That was actually a really big deal for Moses to do that. Shouldn't escape us. Moses should not actually have done that. God makes a point to say, which you broke. So now God tells Moses, go make for yourself two tablets. Two tablets. If we remember in the beginning when we did the, the Ten Commandments in, in, in chapter uh, 20, that it's ten words. Ten words. And on each of the tablets were the ten words of God. One copy was for the camp, the people of Israel. One copy was to be put within the ark. It was God's copy. Each, each party had a copy of the covenant. And, and he was doing it again. Again, the Lord... but. The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablet, which you broke. If we've read Exodus, we read ahead, there's a problem. I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets. Did God actually write on the second set of tablets? Did God really write? We know the first tablet, He did. It was written with the finger of God, right? Given to Moses through angels. If we read ahead in Exodus here, and I want to show you that it's not a problem, but if somebody tells you, oh, well, the Bible contradicts itself. God said He was going to write on the tablets, but then it says that Moses wrote on the tablets. So what do we do with this? Listen to what it says, just a few verses ahead in 34, verses 27 to 28. And the Lord said to Moses, write these words. For in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So there seems to be a contradiction God says, bring up the second tablets. I'm going to write on them. And then he tells Moses to write on them. Matter of fact, it gets even more complicated because when we go into Deuteronomy 
And Moses recounts what happened here. It says this in, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. At that time, the Lord said to me, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first and come up to me on the mountain and make an ark of wood. Now, we weren't told about making an ark, so Moses also had to bring an ark. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets that you broke, and you shall put them in the ark. So I made an ark of acacia wood, and I cut the tablets of stone like the first, and went up on the mountain with the two tablets in my hand. And he, meaning God, wrote on the tablets in the same writing as before the Ten Commandments that the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of assembly, and the Lord gave them to me. What do we do with this? So you write, God says, I'll write. Moses writes, Moses says, no, God wrote. Is there a problem? There's actually no problem whatsoever. There's not a contradiction in any way, shape, or form. What we see here is the doctrine of divine inspiration. The doctrine of divine inspiration. We know that the scriptures tell us in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training, and for righteousness. So God's words were given to Moses. Moses wrote God's word. They were God's words. And even Moses acknowledged this is God's words. Moses did not come up with the, the covenant. Moses did not come up with the terms of the covenant. God alone came up with the terms. So we see here divine inspiration. Um, it's a doctrine that is, that is true. It's a doctrine that we believe. We must believe that this book is divinely inspired by God. It's divine in its nature. It has real power. It is these words, when we speak to people, when we share the gospel, it is these words which transform people. It is these words which convict. It is these words which cause people to understand and know through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is God's divine word. But we also see in this the fact that God even said to Make two new tablets is a sign of God's grace. Because by all rights, when Moses broke the tablets, God had every right to say, we're done. It's over. Complete. You broke the covenant. It's now over. And God could have actually enacted the terms of the covenant and wiped everybody out. And God would have been completely just to do so. But he didn't. God was gracious said, you know what? Let's give it another try. Bring up for yourself. But Moses, it's going to take some work on your part now. You have to hew out two tablets. I don't think that was an easy thing to do. They had primitive tools, chiseling out rock, and Moses had a limited time. You better do this by the morning. God was gracious to Moses to the children of Israel to even want to renew the covenant. 
I like what uh, Philip Graham Riken says in his commentary on Exodus. Uh, Saved for God's glory, he writes this. God was willing to pick up the pieces of that broken relationship and renew His covenant with His people. Wow! How great is that, that God is willing to pick up the pieces. God is willing to pick us up when we fall short, when even when we willfully sin. Yes, we suffer the consequences. God is willing to bring us back. Truly, what Jeremiah says in Lamentations, in Lamentations 3, 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Why did God renew the covenant? Because God cannot deny himself. God is a faithful God. Even when we are faithless, the scriptures tell us, God is faithful. No wonder he's a strong tower. No wonder he's called a rock. No wonder he does not change. He is faithful. He is faithful. He will not neglect. He will not renege on his promises in any way, shape, or form. Thanks be to God for His faithfulness. We see that Moses in this preparation, what was Moses' preparation? What was Moses to do? He said, God said, be ready, verse 2, be ready by morning and come up in the morning to Sinai, to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. The word be ready in Hebrew literally means to be prepared. Literally, be prepared. Moses, there's a deadline. You are to be ready in the morning. And morning for them, by the way, is not the same as morning for us. Morning for them was very early. It would be very common in the desert environment to very early in the morning begin your journey in the cool of the morning. So you can get as far along on your journey before the heat happens, right? And Moses was climbing up a mountain. I was in the Sinai Desert. I climbed up the traditional site of Mount Sinai. Um, we had a nice path to go up, right? Um, the Crusaders, years later, built steps going down the backside of it. I walked down those. Moses had none of that. I mean, I think we have to imagine if you're climbing a mountain, you know, if you see those guys free climbing, I think that's what Moses was doing, with two stone tablets, by the way, right? And, and this wasn't the first time that Moses had to climb this mountain. I think if you go and look, three or four times Moses had to go up and Moses had to go down. Um, no wonder Moses said, here I am 80 years old and I still have the strength of my youth. Yeah, you're a mountain climber. Of course you are, Moses. But he did it many times. God said, be ready in the morning. That means... Be ready with the tablets. Did Moses actually cut the tablets? God just said, make sure you have tablets. He could have handed it off to Oholiab or Beziel, because that's who God gave this, the spirit of craftsmanship to. doesn't matter who made the tablets. Make sure you have the tablets. And make sure you're ready in the morning. That means that Moses was to be ready. He was to be ready with the tablets. He was to be ready physically. And he was to be ready spiritually. He wasn't just going to come nonchalantly up that mountain. 
says, be ready in the morning and present yourself. Literally, stand before. I, to me, in, the mind, in my mind, I have the picture of coming and standing at attention. Here I stand in my spot, choom, I'm standing at attention, and I'm ready to meet the superior officer. Moses was to be ready. Another preparation is Moses was to make sure to tell the people what they were not to do. Verse 3, No one shall come up with you, and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herd graze opposite the mountain. We've already seen that when God first ascended on the mountain, He made very clear instructions. Listen to what He says in, uh, 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 in, verse, in Exodus 19, 12 to 13. And you shall set limits for the people all around. So when He says opposite the mountain in 34, it literally means the backside of the mountain. In Exodus 19, all around, literally the entire mountain. Set limits around the entire mountain, the front and the back. Nobody said, you know, try to sneak in the back way, get into the movie for free, so to speak. You know, none of that was to happen. Don't take your flocks over there. Don't do anything. Make sure you keep your distance. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Right? So they're to take their stones and throw them at them, use slingshots, use a bow and arrow, and shoot them. They start running towards the mountain, kill them. Don't let them get to the mountain. And make sure you don't be dumb enough to try to snatch them back because you're going to be as good as dead too. God made it very clear. Do not come near this mountain. He tells Moses again, remind the people, don't come near and don't graze your flocks near. He goes, when the trumpet sounds, a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So when God gives the signal, you can come up. Why did God set these limits? Because God is holy. God is holy. And no mere person can think they can just come into the presence of God without consequences. Nadab and Abihu learned that the hard way. Aaron, the Levites, learned it the hard, hard way. If you remember, they offered to God strange fire. And it says that fire came out from the altar and consumed them. And this was God's response through Moses to Aaron. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. In other words, Aaron didn't weep for his kids because they brought their sin upon themselves. It's the same idea. Set limits. This is a holy God. He is not someone you want to mess with. You don't want to be trivial with. You know, again, the prince's bride. No one to trifle with. No one to be casual with. This is God. And so Moses, verse 4, So Moses cut the tablets of the stone like the first and rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hands the two tablets of stone. So Moses went and he stands before God. He presents himself before God. But there's another presentation. 
God is about to present himself to Moses. What an incredible thought that is. Look at what it says in verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. That is a great verse. Here's Moses on a high mountain, and yet God is so great and so higher that even then God had to come down to Moses' level. The fact that God comes down to our level, what grace there is in God. How awesome is God? He comes down and he descended in the cloud and stood with him there. I love what Philip Ryken again says in this commentary. He says, for us, for us to have an encounter with God at all requires his infinite condensation. He is the creator. We are only creature. He is enthroned in heaven. We dwell on earth below. He's God and we're not. So if he relates to us at all, he must come down. Wow, how true that is. Not only does he come down, he's a great high priest who sympathizes with us. So God comes down. What's going to happen well, in verse 33, God, in Exodus 33, 19, God already told Moses, when I come down, this is what's going to happen. And I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And so here's Moses at attention before the Lord. We've got to remember, though, he just came. It doesn't tell us right here, but he told us in 33 that God's going to take Moses and he's going to put him in the rock. He's going to hide him in the cleft of the rock. And so now God comes down in all his incredible glory. Remember what is surrounding the mountain? Dark clouds, thunder, and fire, and yet in the midst of the cloud, there's not thunder, there's not fire, there's the glory of God. Far more dreadful than the clouds and the thunder and the fire is the glory of God. And Moses steps right into it. Moses, the Bible tells us, trembled with fear before God. And God comes down. And I love that God says, and I will make my wrath go before. No, all my goodness, and I will declare to you my name. We should not let that, what God connects his goodness to his name, his character. And that's exactly what God does. Listen to what it says in verses 6 to 7. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. God begins as he condescends down to Moses, as Moses is being covered by God's hand, as it were, so he would not die. God says, the Lord, the Lord, the self-sufficient one. Moses, let's be clear who you are seeing right here. You need me, 
I don't need you. That's not what he was saying outright. That sounds rude. But in essence, that's what God is saying. I am the self-sufficient one. This is a name that Moses already knew, by the way. God already declared him. Matter of fact, Moses was the very first person God declared his name to. The very first person of all the people of human. Abraham did not know this name of God. But yet Moses did. The self-sufficient one. He says, the self-sufficient one, the self-sufficient one. And the very first word, if this doesn't make you love the Lord, merciful. The people just broke faith and sinned and committed idolatry and Moses broke the covenant and he says, I'm merciful. Do you know the mercy of God? Do you experience the mercy of God? You know, the gospel is not just, the the gospel in a nutshell is the mercy of God. Flee the wrath of God because God is merciful and has made a way of escape. God is merciful. He is compassionate. Remember, we talked about God's compassion. That when you hurt, God hurts. He really feels what we feel. He is merciful. No wonder Jesus says, make sure you're merciful. Make sure you're forgiving. Oh, I really hate that jerk. Well, I died for that jerk. He is merciful. He is gracious. I wonder what Moses was going through his mind. This is not what I expected. Merciful and gracious. Gracious, undeserved favor. None of us deserve God's favor. None of us deserve it. We deserve God's wrath. We've earned God's wrath. We deserve it because we've earned it. We did not earn God's mercy. We did not earn God's compassion. He willingly condescends and comes down to us and says, here is my mercy. Would you take my gift? And it's up to us to say yes or no. How sad for people to say no, to reject the mercy of God. He says, I am slow to anger. Oh, man. How many of us can say we're slow to anger? I can't. Maybe you can. Again, I love what Philip Riken says in this commentary. Uh, 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 saved for the glory of God. He says, slow to anger, listen to this, slow to anger does not present the Lord as a frustrated deity who eventually loses patience and strikes out against those who have thwarted him. Right? To have somebody to be somebody, you know, and, and they may seem patient on the outside, but on the inside, they're just like, you know, they're like that dude from, uh, what's that, that uh, Pixar movie with all the emotions where he, you know, anger, he's the best character of the movie, where eventually he just, you know, his top blows up, right? That's not God. That's not God. He's not on the inside just boiling over, yet looking patient. No, he's actually patient. He's kind. Why is he patient? Why is he slow to anger? Because he's merciful and gracious. It rather acknowledges that the Lord is reluctant to act against His creation, even when it is in rebellion against Him. He waits long to give the sinner opportunity to return in repentance. 
but he is not forgetful and will not condone sin. At a time of his choosing, he will act decisively against it. Boy, there's no free passes. There's no free passes. He is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Don't you love that word, abounding? About, not, not, not just I have a little bit of this, Moses. I'm, I'm abounding in steadfast love. Or better translated, abounding in covenant love. Abounding in covenant love or loyalty. I am loyal to my covenant. Therefore, I'm going to be abounding in steadfast love for you. I am not going to change. Douglas Stort, in his commentary, writes this, on, it's just simply called Exodus. He says, However fickle and unreliable humans may be in their relationship to God, he is nothing of the sort, but can be counted on in every situation and at all times to be completely faithful to his promises for his people. If we are faithless, he is faithful. Because he cannot disown himself. 2 Timothy 2.13 He not only says he's abounding in steadfast love, he's also abounding in faithfulness. He's abounding in faithfulness. Or, faithfulness can also be translated, he's abounding in truth. God is true. And every other man is a, every man is a liar. God himself is named true. Listen to the name of Jesus when he returns. In Revelation 19, 11, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. God is all of these incredible attributes. Of all the things that God could have said about himself, This is what God says I am. This is my goodness. This is my character. This is my name. Not only that, look at what it says in verse 37. I am keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Iniquity, transgression, and sin. I keep. Steadfast love for thousands, which is a way of saying a whole lot. It's not literally for thousands, like, you know, for, it's for all people, really. God wants to keep steadfast love for all His people. He will keep steadfast love for all His people. And He will forgive iniquity, which means to turn aside from what is right. That could be purposeful. At times it could be, you know, I didn't know. But transgression, he's willing to forgive transgression. Transgression is definitely willful violation or disobedience. Willful. I'm going to do that. I don't care what you say, God. I'm going to go do that. How many of you, for honest, in times of your life, have said, I, I, have, I know I did what God said not to do. And you suffer the consequences of it. Sin is any moral failure.
would have been awesome if God stopped there, wouldn't it? Like, that's already overwhelming, but look at the rest of what it says in verse 7. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty? Let me be clear, Moses, before you get the wrong idea about all my goodness, because I am good, let's be clear. I will not clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the father on the of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Well, what's all that mean? Why are the kids going to suffer? Hey, we suffer for the sins of the father. Things that are passed down and undealt with. Subsequent generations suffer for it. We are suffering for the ideology of the 60s and the 70s and the 80s today. That's just a fact. It's not that God is saying, I'm going to... No, that's how sin works. That's what's the natural consequences of it. What does God, why did God clarify this? He wanted Moses and he wanted the children of Israel to know that yes, I am gracious and I am merciful. I'm slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. I forgive iniquity and sin and all of those things. Yes, I do that, but don't take it for granted. This is the same warning that Paul gives to us in Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So listen, I'm gracious and I'm merciful. That's why you don't go into sin. You choose to go into sin, I will not clear the guilty. You'll pay the penalty. God declares Himself to Moses. He lets His goodness, which is His name, His essence, His character, is proclaimed to Moses. The first sermon that God gives, the only sermon that I know that God gives about Himself is right here. And you see that the goodness, the steadfast love of the Lord, He's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, is carried throughout. It's the theme For the children of Israel in the Psalms and in the prophets, they say, this is who God is. This is who God is. This is who God is. Remember, this is who God is. They also remind him, but he doesn't. He doesn't. Blot out iniquity if you're going to keep doing it. They make it clear there's a balance with God. So God explains himself to Moses. Exegetes himself, actually, is a better word to say. He exegetes who he is. And then we see a petition come from Moses. Verse, 30, verse 8 says, And Moses, God comes down in a cloud, God declares himself to who, Mo, who he is to Moses, and it says, And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. Wait, I thought he was in some little like niche in a rock, kind of like this, right? Because that's the picture we get, right? Well, the cleft is actually like a cavern. It's a cave, right? There was plenty of room for him to bow down. There's some lessons we can learn here. It says, Moses, quickly. He didn't sit there and go, wonder what, I wonder what I should do in this situation. No, he quickly bowed his head towards the earth and he worshiped God. What other response could you have if God comes down to you? in His glory, and says, this is who I am. 
Would you be there and go, eh, what, I've seen better. What? No way. There's just no, there's no other response other than to fall on your face before God. The sad fact is, is many have seen and heard the goodness of God. And many go, eh, and they walk away. It should break our hearts when people reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. Reject, break our hearts to see people live in a willful, sinful life because hell is all that awaits them. It should break our hearts. Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. And what's ironic in all this, the very thing that Moses asked to see by his act of putting his face on the ground, he could not see what he asked to see. But there's another lesson we can learn here. That worship preceded his appeal. Worship preceded his appeal. He worshiped God before he asked God. Is that part of our daily part of God? Do we worship God first? We just jump right into asking God for, oh, you're merciful and you're gracious, slow to anger, abounding, set fellow. So I'm just going to cut to the chase, God, because I don't want to waste your time and my time. Right? No. God, you are this. Thank you, God, that you are. And worship God. He even sing songs to God. The Bible tells us in Colossians, what? They sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs in our hearts to the Lord. We should be doing that. We drive along the road. When you walk along the way, we should be worshiping God, thinking God's thoughts, meditating on Him. Worship preceded appeal. This is Moses' petition. And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> if I have now found favor in your sight, Moses, you're not dead. You found favor. <laughs> you didn't die. You're, you found favor. O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. Interesting that he asked that, right? Because God said, I'm not going to be in the midst of you. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to walk away from you people. I can't be with you people because you're a stiff-necked people. And that's exactly what Moses says. For it is a stiff-necked people. An unbending people. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it gracious? Isn't it amazing that God chose to partner with a stiff-necked people? He knew what he was getting into. And you know what? When God saved you and God saved me, He knew what He was getting into. We're no different than the Jews, were we? are we? We're stiff-necked. So they are stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. What? Take us for your inheritance? Didn't I just tell you I'm the self-sufficient one? I don't need anything? Now I need an inheritance? You know what Moses was doing here, as we should when we appeal to God? Moses petitioned God based on what God had just declared about himself. Didn't he? You're merciful, 
You're gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and forgiving iniquity and sin. That's exactly what he just asked God for. And God, in his graciousness, grants it to Moses and to the children of Israel. How great is our God. We, now, on this side of the cross, we come to the Lord on the basis of the works of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Hebrews tells us, Therefore, brother, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, we have confidence to enter the holy places into the glory of God. Are we, are we ever going to see it in this world? Will we see ourselves the glory of God physically? Probably not. Will we see it when in heaven? Absolutely we will, right? But we get to go into the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened us for, the, for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses, who is compassionate over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You know what? We go into God. We go in and we petition our God and we worship our God. Not because there's a list of rules of which we now have to keep. But because there's one standing there who kept the law on our behalf. Doesn't mean we don't have to obey the rules, because we do. But he now takes it. And there's Jesus standing before the throne of God with his wounded hands and his wounded side. We come and we petition God. And God looks at His Son. What do you say? That's my child, Dad. The answer is yes. Do what's best for them. The answer may be no, because that's best for me. But we learn about God. Moses saw the glory of God, the reflected glory of God. How much greater, Paul says, is the ministry that we have in Christ Jesus compared to the ministry that Paul says is the ministry of death. This is the ministry of life. Moses appealed to God on the basis of the character. How much more can we appeal to God and how much more reason do we have to worship God because of who Christ is and what He's done for us. In Christ we have the forgiveness of sins and the promise of His presence forever. I don't have to ask God, will you be with me? He already is. And He'll never leave me, and He'll never forsake me, and He'll never leave you, and He'll never forsake you. To God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for who You are. Thank You. Thank You. That You are indeed gracious and merciful slow to anger, bounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving 
sin and iniquity and wickedness. But you're also a God who will by no means clear the guilty. Oh, Father, may we never take your grace for granted, the grace that has been granted to us in Christ Jesus. May we worship you as you deserve. And may we come to you knowing that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus for us with complete confidence. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's stand. Let's close in a song. The, the sermon goes on. You're, look, you're, you're thinking about what would be the perfect song to close. Have several ones, and then you hear a hot button word, and trying to think about what sentiment would truly, uh, you know, kind of sum up what you, you hear. And 147, how great thou art. That comes to me. So what we're going to do is <clears throat> we're going to sing one, three, and four. All right. It's 147. I'm sorry. 147. And we're going to sing one, three, and four. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the words thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Verse 3. And when I think that God, his son, not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in that on the cross my burden gladly bearing he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. When Christ shall come 
with shout of acclamation and take me home what joy shall fill my heart then i shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim my god how great thou art and sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art how great thou art how great thou art amen be blessed